0: Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsport show where modifieds are king. Methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag.
1: Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts
0: and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inside Groove Modified podcast. My name is Tom Baker. It is great to be back in the saddle again as uh, something a little different this week uh, in terms of what's going on at Oswego. And I say different because this is a traditionally a super modified podcast, but we always uh, open it up to uh, anything that races at Oswego really can, can, be, uh, can be fair game and past and present uh and future of course um so this week, we go super dirt week, so uh that's always fun, gosh, somebody needs to do a sundance for the weekend it is uh i i really hate seeing uh hate seeing the uh the the forecast right now, so hopefully it'll get better but uh, certainly a big crowd expected and should be should be a lot of fun uh and looking forward to catching. Some of the action on uh, the stream. I won't be able to, to get up there for it, but definitely looking forward to checking some of it out. Um, this is episode 131, and this segment, opening segment, being brought to you by JNS Paving, Rich Worth, and the folks. Now, look, th- th- here's the thing w- Rich Worth is is absolutely the Beethoven of blacktop. What this guy can do with blacktop is absolutely incredible. His parking lots and his driveways are state of the art. It is done right. It's nice and smooth. And he treats you fairly in all ways. So if you need a pave job, um, then your parking lot, your driveway, whatever, um, J and S paving is the place. If you're anywhere around the Oswego area, give Rich Worth and his team first shot, please. Call them and um them for their not only their coverage of the show, but my gosh, Rich Worth is all <laughs> he does so much for super modified Racing in 350. Super modified racing of all types. So um thank you to rich for being part of the show okay so um hopefully like i said things go well at super dirt week looking forward to it uh the action over super modified wise for the 2023 racing season um special guest coming up on this show is one of the up and comers talon hawksby is joining us on this program tonight, and that should be a lot of fun. Uh, Talon is a 16-year-old racer, third-generation racer in the 350 Supermodified Division and uh, running at the Oswego Speedway. Started in quarter midgets, moved into the 350s, and Talon has been about a year and, well, almost a year and a half, I guess, um, in competition now, so thought it would be cool to, get him on the show and i believe i don't remember if i ever had joe hawksby senior on one of my shows or not back in the day when we were doing radio up in oswego but um i know i didn't have joe jr on because uh i wasn't doing radio then i don't think um like i'd stopped uh that was kind of that period where um i'd gone to work for ferris industries i think and uh, so I wasn't doing uh, the racing radio show for a little while, but um, then as I got, I think when I brought it back was when I got to Memphis back in the early 2000s. We did uh, started doing shows again and uh, did some online stuff and um, all kinds of good stuff. So anyway, um, happy to have Talon on and looking forward to that. Uh, what's in the number? This is episode 131, so we're talking about the number. 31. So we will get to that segment as well in due course. I was, uh, last week, um, it's been kind of fun the last couple weeks because, or few weeks, um, because here lately we've had a chance to do some sort of, um, I guess you could say traveling back in time, right? You, you had a chance, first of all, of um, the idea of being able to read the, doug holmes account of the little deuce the rest, restoration of the little deuce was really awesome that was a treat and then um had a chance to actually uh not too long ago we actually read out of one of the programs from i think it was in 73 the letter that was written about the super modified class by the speedway i think probably doug caruso wrote it i'm guessing and um that was really fun to be able to 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 look back at um, that period of time when the some of the convertible cars, so to speak, like Gary Reichert's number seventy eight, um, you know, there was questions about you know are they legal? Should they be legal? All that sort of thing, and um, you know, it was a run what you run class according to the letter. So then, um, randomly, I was picking up programs and reading through them. Um, I grabbed a program from the 76 classic book last week and um, and read a piece that John Hill wrote about the four-wheel drive controversy from back in the day. And so it, it's fun to sort of single out and take a little bit of a deeper dive into some of that stuff. Um, and it kind of got me to thinking about a, a few things and one of the things that um that i i've i've talked a lot on this show and talon talon Hawksby fits this this perfectly talking about the multi-generational participation in supermodifieds over the years and thinking about kind of how each Generation of driver in in the line, so to speak, the family line. Um, kind of how f- things were for them, and I started thinking about the Bellingers first, and thinking about Eddie Senior. Now, of course, Eddie Senior was racing back in the uh, days of the modified cars before the supers, um, and. You know, Eddie, I think he did, he might've raced. I want to say that he, he did race supers a little bit, but, um, he was a multi-time track champion. He was very successful. And then Eddie jr. Started racing and, 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 and Eddie B as, as they call him, um, you know, Eddie jr. Was absolutely one of the best ever to sit in a super modified and, and, you know the classic races that he won um being able to uh to win so many features and and then now Brandon um Brandon Bellinger has the track championship he's won feature races hasn't yet won a classic but there's still plenty of time he's he's young um i mean he's probably like 6 in joe Gozik years right <laughs> so um yeah, Brandon, uh, and and so looking looking at sort of that group, it's like Eddie Senior was one of the um, first best, I would say, from that first era, and then Eddie Junior, one of the best, um, and one of the best of all time, in my opinion, and then of course, um, y- y- you know, Brandon is 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 a terrific driver. And, um, I got thinking about the Muldoons, right? So you have the Ballingers, then you have the Muldoons and Jim Muldoon was again, uh, he started in the late sixties, I think, and then raced until what? 84, maybe somewhere in that area. I think, um, and Jim had a very interesting career because he didn't win a feature, but he, I feel like Jim Muldoon was one of those drivers that was just always fun to watch. He was always there. He drove so many different cars and often he would, you know, he had a couple stints in some of them. I, he had two stints, I think at least in the Roy Murphy 13, for example, he was driving cars for the most part, you know, he, he drove the, the, the 37 car, which by the time he started driving it, it was still a good car, but it, it you know, obviously a lot of the top equipment had exceeded it. You know, when it came out in 70, what, two, I think for Freddie Graves, he won a feature with it and it was one of the top cars at the track. Um, but then it sort of, it sort of faded, you know, a, a, again, it, um, you know, everybody else got faster, you know, and so um it it uh but it was always a a, a pretty car and and I love the profile of it. I love the design of it. Um, you know, and Jim did a good job with it. But he drove for Ernie and Bob June a couple times in the in a couple different times in the 59. I think he drove um for some reason I want to say I think he drove the like the 70, the car that Jim Winks was in, like 73, 74 car. He drove that car. I think he had a stint in that one. Then he drove, he drove the next one they built. Um, Brian Osgood, I think it was the first to drive that car, but then Jim drove it a bit. Um, and uh, I still, that, I remember that car mostly, and this, this is random, but I remember that car mostly. Tommy Gush the modified driver from, uh, from the Southern tier jumped in that 59 car for the 1980 classic and just missed the top 10, finished in the top 10. He had a good run in that car. Um, but, uh, you know, you, th- again, Jim Oldune he was, he was, he was all, almost always an outdated cars. He, the, the first car that I'd say he drove that, that was, um, you know, kind of getting him toward the front of the field consistently was that that Herm Graf C-15 in 1980. Great. Um, some really good runs in that. Top 10 runs. Um, and then um, after Mike Muldoon bought Eddie Bellinger's car, they cloned it for Jim. And that was his best car offset car. got under 18 seconds with it. And, um, again, didn't win a feature, but just was one of the most popular, you know, nicest guys. Um, and then Mike came into this and went off the chain. (laughs) You know, he, he, um, you start thinking about, so the third generation was, was, was the big one there. Um, and then we'll get to Michael in a minute. But um, Mike Muldoon came in kicking and screaming, so to speak. He um, he really, he started winning fairly early. And the thing that Mike really did is he learned to be a good designer and builder. But before he started really building his own stuff, um, he drove for so many different people. You know, you think about Paul Castelia you think about, um, gosh, who else? Um, you think about, uh, he drove for Joe McGarry. He drove for Jim Rogers. He drove for, um, Oh gosh. Uh, the number 80. Um, Oh, what was the guy's name? Jim, 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 Jim. I think no. Um, Oh, I think it was the old Tobin car. What was, I can't remember the guy's name, um, to save my life right off the bat, but he, 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 He drove, um, a number of different cars. Um, and, uh, every car he drove, he got a hundred percent out of, and then some Mike was just a great driver. And then when he started building his own cars, um, it was, I mean, those cars are gorgeous. (laughs) They just were. And everyone he built got better. You know, I would, I, I, um, And so, you know, had the track championships, the wins, the classic, uh, you know, he won, he, again, he won it all. Mike was a great driver and then um, his son. So now um, Michael has been racing for a number of years now. And um, again, very capable racer, capable of winning anytime he gets in the car, has won races, um, still waiting for the classic um i know that'll come for him if he keeps trying and so you know three generations strong there um and you think about you know you got sometimes his brothers right the graves brothers for example freddie and ronnie um you know ronnie probably you know maybe didn't uh accomplish quite so much as freddie but ronnie really didn't um I mean he had some good cars but a lot of the cars he drove again it kind of outdated by the time he got into them you know he he um so he just didn't really i think his best days probably were back when he first started with that seven car the old buckler car that blue car um so that would have been uh 76 maybe ronnie was um he was capable but freddie was really i mean freddie did you know again thinking about the four-wheeler but the rear-engine car that he had um you know the uh the x indy car that he that that got destroyed um in that accident in turn one and two he had that neat little roadster and then that car he built in 78 was drop dead gorgeous you know freddie did win again didn't win the classic or the championship but certainly won races he was a very capable driver um you know, you you've got Steve and Steven Joya, uh, you know, just so many generationals and, and so, um, you know, the Hawksby story is a bit different yet because um three generations there, Colonel started, Joe Hawksby Senior started um the late seventies and um really just uh you know all through his career until the very end, he, he was just again in, in outdated stuff, didn't have the the funds others did and have the big motors, um, you know, drove a number of different cars. Uh, I remember one night he drove Jeff Barzee's car, the 12, it was a Bellinger ex Bellinger car. I think Jeff still has that. Um, somebody, I think said, well, I think, I think I heard that somebody offered to buy it and he wouldn't sell it. Uh, (laughs) So, um, you know, obviously, uh, that that's his right to do that but um yeah he uh i remember joe driving that just a bunch of different um he had a number of different rides um that he drove over the years and then joe jr had his stint in it and and again he you know i tease him and you know everybody kind of knows him for the, joe joey didn't do anything halfway he does when when he builds a car it's a masterpiece um you know, and and when he wrecked a car, it was a master wreck. Um he just <laughs> I'm kidding, Joe, I'm kidding. Um, no, but he was he was a way better shoe than than he the results give him credit for. Um and now Talon, I feel like, is gonna be the one that um that that uh, breaks through to victory lane and and so looking forward to talking to him. But again, you know, you think about the Schillick family, Dave Sr., Dave Jr how many times did Dave senior try to win the classic and now junior's got multiple and um, you know, he'll probably get, you know, probably get one or two more for he's at least before he's done. Um, you know, Dave senior, I remember him driving for Jim Bodner and, and um back in those days when Dave senior started late seventies, I remember the month of August was such a, and I talk about this often on the show, the month of August was such a, delightful time like really delicious time to be a supermodified fan at the swiggle because you never knew who would come in to dial in for classic and then when an invader would come in like dave shulick and especially if he ran well um that was a very big deal and um dave was a great guy really a nice job um you know everything he everything he drove I, i could do a full show about all the cars he drove but we did do an interview with him you can uh, look that up in our archives, steeringwellnation.com. Um just go to the shows and podcast page and and uh the 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 player is there for Inside Groove. It's got all the back episodes in it. Um so it's uh and of course Dave Dave Jr. is one of the uh the very best drivers of, of this era uh of super modified racing. He just I mean I could go on forever, but I, I think the point that I'm making here is that When uh, and by the way, I need to throw in Bobby and Nick Barzi in the Muldoon clan, too, because even though they're not Muldoons, you know, they're they're um, they're part of the family, so to speak. Um, And Bobby was a good racer uh, and really had fun with it. And and Nick finally getting a win this year in the in the uh, 350 class. Thank God Um, that was that was a while coming. So happy to see that for him. And uh, but um, the point, I guess the larger point is that. For whatever reason, you know, super modified racing is, I mean, you know, I could go to New England in Ohio. You got the Gibsons in Ohio, you know, the Timmins in New England, Gosh, the Ordways. the, um, oh man, the, the Rousseau's, I think, yeah, Artie and Artie Jr. You, I mean, I, I'm going to, and I'm not, there's no way I'm going to think of everybody, but I, again, what a, for those of us who've been around a while, what a treat. What an amazing thing to see. And, you know, if you're part of one of those families, it's almost like a rite of passage, I feel like. You just, you just, this is what you do. You know, this is what you do. Um, I, I, you know, getting Eddie Bellinger Jr., I, I just remember, you know, basically, I think he had made the deal with Todd Gibson to buy his car before he told his dad about it. <laughs> you know, um, it's just what you do. That's just what you do. And then you start looking at if you if you the the thing that's even more amazing is sometimes it's not even driver in driver. So you got Eric Iosu, who's crewed for a number of different teams over the years. And now he's crewing for his son, for Eric. You know, those sorts of things um go on all you know have gone on all the time over the years and as I looked through some of the old programs here lately it just really really reminded me of um the amazing treat that it's been to be able to watch all these great drivers of course you got now you also got Louis LeVay junior and senior too now um big dog little dog or puppy dog <laughs> um you know, and uh just just really awesome. Uh what a what an amazing thing to to have been able to see and and how so many of these generational racers, you know, just so successful and then sometimes you get one where like I think it's gonna be with Talon where, you know, the first generation doesn't quite get to Victory Lane and the second generation did or, or in this case both Joe Senior and Junior were so close, and now Talon is um, Talon is is on his way, and I think he'll get one in twenty four. I really do. Um, so yeah, it's it's just um, that was really. I, I kind of got thinking in the opening segment that um, we could talk about a little bit and just reminisce a bit about some of the generational influence that you've had at the speedway, and and it. I know there's way more than I'm you know. <laughs> then I'm remembering and I'm, I wasn't trying to get them all. I just wanted to, to sort of highlight, um, use a few of them to highlight the, the, the larger point of, um, how incredible it is. You just, I've been to a lot of other racetracks and you do, you do have that generational thing. You know, almost everywhere in a racetrack, there's at least one or two, you know, where, you know, the son is, you know, the father, the grandfather, the grandfather, father and son, or whatever There's There's always some of that, but, um, you know, in Oswego, it just seems like, like I said, it's almost like a rite of passage. It's what you do, you know, which is, which is pretty amazing. Okay. So I mentioned, um, before we, we, um, finish off this segment, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I think that, um, I was, uh, working on setting up an interview with modified legend, Jerry Cook, the cookie monster. Um, and I've spoken with Jerry and we're looking to make that happen here in the next uh, couple of weeks. So, um, hopefully if all goes according to plan, we'll be able to, uh, to bring that to fruition here. And it's just, um, he, he's still very active going to different races. He, um, you know especially the modified ones but he's got to be at charlotte this weekend for example uh to do some things there uh with nascar or whatever so uh jerry's still very active so we are going to make that happen um and so i would say that probably sometime in the next month or you know hopefully at least before the the holidays start uh we'll be able to have that interview and present it to you. So that's going to be a lot of fun because, boy, back in the day, you know, Jerry Cook was was one of the all-time greats and, and the stories that man tells. And, in fact, he he told me, he said to me that um, when I was talking to him on the phone, he said, um, he said, you're welcome to come to the house if you want to do the interview. Um, he said, I got a lot of stuff to show you he told me he's got, he had won, he's won uh, Martinsville in the modified six times and you get a grandfather clock, just like you do, you know, for the big NASCAR series. And he's got, he had, he won six clocks. He kept two, he gave two, to hit one, I think one each to his kids or, uh, and then, um, he, he, uh, gave two, to his, uh, coroner from back of the day so he's got he's got six grandfather he won six grandfather clocks and he's got a whole bunch of other stuff too so um that's going to be a lot of fun we'll we'll uh get to that in due course and uh present that to you uh as soon as we can that's going to be one of those we multi-purpose because we've got some we've got a stock car classic show that that that's going to fit that audience perfectly and then um you know we can also uh play it here um and uh, give you a little bit of a treat, and then I'm I'm working on a couple of the other modified legends too. That's that's kind of a, a thing that has developed out of this. So, um, you know, we'll, we may mix in some of those as we can get them uh, over over the off season here, uh, and give you just somebody different. See, from Jerry, um, I was asked well, somebody asked me did Jerry ever race a super? No, I don't believe he did. Uh, there were a couple of the modified guys that did. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, Graham Bolia, actually, who used to race mods, he raced supers first, I think. I think Graham raced supers in the 60s. I think he might have driven for Dick Dummigan actually in the 90s at one point. Um, but Graham raced modified Ziggur Swiggur in the 70s. Um, Jeff Bodine, of course, ran supers. Um, Gosh, Richie Evans a couple times. Um, I mean, it, there were obviously some guys like Champagne and Winks and Wallace and Siprich and Letcher and, uh, even Nolan Swift raced Merv Trickler's dirt car in a modified 200 back in 73 or 74. Um, I mean, you know, so there were a number of super guys that crossed over, but, um, you know, there were, there were a handful of them. Maynard Troyer ran some super races. Um, Gary Yule, of course, ran, um, yeah so i mean there were i know there's probably a few more than that but um mike mclaughlin but i well i guess mike did mike no he ran supers first um so he doesn't count Uh, (laughs) um so but no the answer to the question is no uh jerry cook i don't believe ever ever raced a super modified so (laughs) that should be a lot of fun we're looking forward to to talking to jerry and uh should be a good interview okay um so that's it for our opening segment we are going to have talon hawksby it is time now for our wiggity wayne sauces guest of the week and this uh, segment being presented by Wiggity Wayne Sauces. You need to go to com if you like barbecue sauces ketchups and rubs Wiggity wayne's is absolutely the best hands down it is made in the northeast wayne is from new york and he's a racer so go to wiggedywaynesauces.com and just pick out something there's a brand new uh, uh hickory flavor there's all kinds of different stuff on there so uh go, go uh try something and um order it and you'll thank me later I promise. We only put good food on these shows. Okay, so uh our our guest of the week is none other than third generation driver Talon Hawksby. Talon, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome.
0: Thanks. It's nice to be on. Uh
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh so talon you're 16 years old right yep okay so i think all of us realize that you know obviously you grew up in racing um how old were you when you actually started first of all i want to go back did you come to oswego when your dad was your dad racing or i'm trying to kind of put years together here i guess he probably wouldn't have been did you ever see your dad race
0: uh, no, I was actually born um, the year after his last season was. So, oh. no, I did
1: not. So, you've never seen your dad race. He could drive no. a car. Um, and your grandpa was a good racer, too. He just didn't always have the equipment he needed to run up front. But, okay, so um, what are your earliest memories of the Oswego Speedway and Supermodifieds, then? Well,
0: you know, from... Even just a young age, I've always been at the track. I remember being five or even six years old and sitting up in the grandstands watching all of, uh, you know, it was kind of cool watching all the cars that I know that my dad built go around the track and, you know, just always been around it, been a big part of my life, always, knowing that my dad was one of the, one of the if not biggest effects on Oswego Racing. And, you know, it was definitely cool
1: yeah he um your your dad um joe hawksby jr for those of you listening who are trying to put this together your dad uh obviously of in the arrow uh era if you will the modern era of supers um i would say he's it it's him and paulie koloka and then we've had some others like um bodner and and uh of course jeff pat and jeff abel built their own and um, you've got Chris Lissetic and, you know, there've been a few, but I think your dad obviously has been the, um, the leader in that. And actually Pauly started, Pauly Kaloka started with your dad and, and I was, that was when your dad started racing, I think, 97. And, um, so yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree. I think that's fair. Now, did you have a, do you have a favorite driver when you were growing up?
0: Uh, you know, there was a couple, um, I've always, been i was always a big auto cedarley fan uh Good always choice. knew michael barnes I, I knew most of them but i'd say probably Otto. growing up when i was little was my okay. favorite
1: well that uh that makes sense he was winning a lot uh yeah and, and so um did you uh, what how old were you when you started racing and was that something you wanted to do or was that something that your dad asked you to do or what, well, how did that work
0: Well, I always remember being interested in the cars when I was little, and around 2015, so just about probably, say, eight years ago, um, my dad came to me and asked me if I was interested in racing a quarter midget, and, you know, I had no idea what they are, and come to find out, that's where the first, uh, probably, six or seven years of my racing career would unfold
1: so you started in quarter midgets um did you run at the oswego county club or did you run at syracuse or both
0: um we originally started up at syracuse at the fairgrounds and um for our first year or so we ran strictly up there and we um we tried out one year um at the big regional show where every all the out-of-towners come and it was a big race especially back when i was um, first starting for sure. And I remember, I remember us going down there and for the regional race, I remember that was our first time running actually at a Swiggo with the Fulton out in, uh, Fulton. Okay. And I remember, um, it was actually a, it was a lot shorter of a drive and, uh, it was a lot easier to do for us. So then the following season, Um, Well, actually, later that season, we started running there more often. I actually remember my first year, I won the championship in Junior Honda, the uh, championship race. Oh, wow. And um, so, just kind of took off from there. We obviously, we ran there mostly. We would would run up at Syracuse a couple times a year, but Oswego was definitely my main track for most of my quarter magic career. Now...
1: Um, if I remember right, and I haven't, um, I mean, I, I was, I did a lot of stuff with like the Syracuse Micron years ago. Um, and so that track is a 10th a mile. Now, Oswego County, I think is a regulation size quarter midget track, right? Which would make it about a 20th. Is, is it not?
0: Uh, You know, I'm not exactly sure about it, but I believe it is.
1: Yeah, it's smaller than Syracuse is my point, because all the quarter midget folks i know have over the years when i mentioned syracuse they're all like that's our indianapolis even though they go run indy they're running you know they're obviously not running a big track it's a oh yeah um syracuse is like a super speedway for a quarter midget car um it's it's really funny so how overall how did you do in the quarters wins championships any special wins that you had uh what was your career like in the quarter midgets
0: Well, I remember back when I first started, um, we ran consistently. My first year, we actually moved up quite a bit. We went from the lowest division to the highest division I was able to run at my age. And, you know, we had a pretty good run in the quarter midgets. I remember we were always, um, I was always a front runner. Um, My first year, I remember it was uh, my second year running at, full-time I uh, was in the senior Honda division okay and I remember we would get eight or nine cars weekly and you'd have me at nine years old and I was racing against all these other older kids from anywhere from 14 to 16 years old and we always ran towards the front even with my uh, younger age and less experience Uh, it was a big learning curve but once we figured it out we did run uh, good I'd say
1: now, is your dad building the cars that you ran? Is, is there such a thing as a Hawk quarter midget?
0: Um, you know, we always talked about possibly putting one together, but no, we never got to it.
1: Oh, so who? what kind of uh, chassis were you riding? Um, so for most of
0: my career, I ran in a Bull Rider chassis. Okay. Until the end of my career when we discovered that, um, a uh, Stanley chassis would actually run better in a certain in the senior Honda class compared to um, the other Light One Sixty class and the World's Formula classes that I ran at the end of my career.
1: Ah, okay. So were you running like a bull rider in one class and then a Stanley in the other? Is that how that worked? Um, we originally,
0: as we developed into the older classes, we would always run our bull riders. And I remember the first car that we ever bought was a Stanley. Okay. And we remember um bringing that out one time as a senior honda at um the oswego track and we just realized that it handled so much smoother and it just ran better than the bull rider and you could get more consistent faster laps in it
1: interesting okay um so you ran quarter midgets right up until what last year um Actually, it's been three years since oh, I wow. ran
0: quarter midgets.
1: Okay, um, so did you have a little bit of a break between your last year of quarter midgets and getting into the uh, super? Then,
0: well, unfortunately, my last year of quarter midgets, the following year, COVID hit. Oh, and, okay. Um, with my father building, with my father and I building my chassis, um, COVID did have a big effect on the shipping of parts and things we needed in order to put it together so i did end up missing a year and pretty much two years um before getting into 350 super so
1: you because you had you did come out last year right you were was it classic how much of last year did you actually race i'm trying to to go back and remember
0: last year we ran the last three point races of the year along with class okay
1: so yeah you did make your debut last year what was it like i mean take us through the very first time you ever got in the 350 and took it out onto the track for you know basically hot laps or whatever your first test session or whatever um talk about what 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 were you thinking what were you feeling i mean what was it like what were you experiencing
0: well, I remember being super excited to hop in the car finally after I had been told for almost a year and a half that I was going to get in it. And the summer leading up to my first uh, time in the car, I had been told week after week that it's going to be the next week, it's going to be the next week. So finally the week that I got to get in the car, I remember being very excited, ready to get in. And, you know, it took, I took a couple... I took a little bit to adjust to the car, you know, feel it out, yeah. get back into the racing groove. And I just remember, finally, I felt comfortable in the car. And I, you know, I felt something that I'd missed for almost a year that was such a big part of my life. And I just remembered being ready. So when I finally put down that gas, it felt really good. Were you
1: shocked at just how fast it was compared to the quarter midget i mean what was what was different for you with the 350 like what were you experiencing that's like oh this is way new well you know first of all it's
0: everybody says oh yeah you're coming from quarter midget racing so you have a lot of experience and while yes you do the same time you also don't you're on a lot bigger of a track with a lot bigger and a lot faster of a car and the difference of that front wing and the top wing compared to this little car that is powered by a little Honda motor compared to this big car that is actually going really fast. You know, it's a big difference, but it's also in the same way. It's very similar. And, you know, I remember everybody telling me, I remember my dad telling me that it's not like a uh, quarter midget. You're going to feel like a rocket strapped to your back. And I just remember... I was expecting more, to be honest with you.
1: Really? Wow. Okay. That wasn't what I expected to hear. So you actually thought it was going to be even faster than you than, than it was. Or what? More I, power? Or I what? did.
0: I did. I honestly felt like it was going to feel like a lot more power behind me. But, you know, when you really, like, think about it, yes, you're moving pretty fast. But when you're going down that straightaway it feels like sometimes it feels like an eternity.
1: I I guess compared to, well, certainly compared to like (laughs) the quarter midget track it would. Right. Um, but that's really interesting. So, um, how did, I mean, did you feel good about the progress that you made in your, your few starts that you had last year?
0: You know, we made a lot of progress. We actually went out and set a, Really, we set good, really good lap times for my first time, the first time out. And, you know, I think we only got better from there. The first three races, I'd say, were just me really feeling the car out. You know, I remember I ran in the back for, like, my first two or three races until because there was stuff that we still hadn't figured out. Um, I remember from last year, uh, the first race that we were actually looking at running or the first race that we were actually going to run with other cars I remember we had, a, um, we had problems with the custom-made rims that my dad had made, Okay. and um, they were actually cracking and letting air out of the tires, which made the car like almost uncontrollable. And that week, unfortunately, ended up in, us in the hub rail and pulling it in on the hook. Um, I remember the second week, we had the same problem, so we didn't actually end up running that second feature. And the third week, we finally had everything figured out. And I remember finally getting a little bit more racy for the first actual time.
1: Okay. And that had to feel good, right? Because you, you're, what you're really doing is gaining confidence in yourself and the car, right?
0: Yeah, you know, it. it's fun to go out there and run laps. When you're out there with those other guys, it's a completely different
1: experience. So, um... So this season, I mean, I, I, I feel like, um, this year you really, it was almost like I could, and I saw, I don't think I missed a race on, on flow. Um, and then of course I was at classic, but I feel like I watched you grow a little bit each week. Now, you know, you, you, you had the spins, but I don't think spins are ever bad because you're you're basically pushing the edge and that's how you learn to to be at the the traction limit of the tires talk about your growth this year because then we're going to get i want to talk about the race that you you almost won but talk about you know the year overall for you and the growth that you had and and how much you know more consistent you got over the course
0: well, you know, unfortunately, due to us not being completely ready at the beginning of the season, we did end up missing the first three races, yeah. but we got in hard on the fourth week, and we were ready to go, and, you know, we did make a lot of progress this year, and we're all very happy about it, um, and like you said, the spins, I've always told my father and um, everybody else that I prefer to push the car and spin out in practice so that we can uh, not in the future. Yeah, really? um, Yeah, so, you know, we had our ups and downs. Um, I actually feel that we had a lot more ups than we did downs, but I think it was a good year for both me as a driver learning, both driving and um, being able to relay good information to help set up the car more, and also for um, everybody that was helping me and my crew um, just getting more accustomed to the whole racing thing.
1: Well, yeah, because, I mean, but you've got, I mean, my goodness, you you got your dad, you got your grandfather, and you've got Greg Furlong, who's been, I know, a big part of, you know, what is, has what is Greg taught you? Well, you know,
0: I was actually, pretty, I was very excited to be able to work with Greg, on because I know that he's one of, if not the best uh, super modified driver. Uh, that's ever touched that speedway what he the amount that he did in his short amount of time at that track is unbelievable to me so being able to work with him and just having him around is a really big help and it's really appreciated
1: so what do you think was the biggest thing you learned and and then and then tell us what do you think you still need to learn what are you still working on
0: Well, you know, as the year went on, we obviously got the car going faster, but not even just going faster, but we got it more raceable. So each week we would be able to come in and diagnose the car and find specifically be able to point out what we needed to be able to do in order to race more the next week and be faster, um, both by ourselves and in traffic and um i remember having a lot of talks with greg about what we needed to do with the car and he always he's always told me that first of all you always fix your first mystery your first problems first yeah so if you're a little loose going into the corner but you're a little tight off you always fix that first problem right and second of all um he always tells me that if we're sucking off the pace that first eight tenths is going to be the easiest to get And it's always going to be the last two tenths that are the hardest to perfect and tune. And, you know, I think we've done, me, Greg, and my father, of course, have all done a good job of tuning the car in order to be able to both go fast and race other drivers.
1: Well, I mean, there were were one or two nights where I honestly thought, you were going to win the race and you had one night in particular and i i now my aging brain is you'll be able to tell me um i know you got past late i think it might have been dave cliff maybe but talk about that race where you it, it really looked like you were you were in for your first win there well
0: so you know we started um i believe that we started on um You know, I'm not really sure. I can't remember where we exactly started. I do remember we started towards the front half of the pack. And I remember we got a a really good start with, um, I believe, well, so Worth was on the pole for that race. And I remember I might have been in the second or even third row. And I remember getting up there. And I remember by the time I had gotten past all the people that I needed to to get up to second place, I actually remember – I actually remember reeling him, and I could tell in the car, and I knew that I was faster than him and more con- even more consistent. And every little slip that he made, I could tell that we were reeling him in. And really, uh, most of the way into the race, we were reeling him in until um, the car all of a sudden got really tight, and we couldn't really catch much more. So by the time we had gotten to his rear end, as we were still catching him, uh, Cliff had made up all that ground yeah. that he had lost and ended up getting me and Worth for the win, which was really good racing by him. Always a clean driver and uh, a good part of the sport up at Swigo. But yeah, I was really excited for that one, but just ended up not being our night. But, you know, third place finish is better than not finishing at all.
1: For sure. That's right. And that's a great attitude to have because, you know, you're going to lose way more than you win. That's the, it. There are very few, you know, every once in a while you get a driver like Todd Gibson or Jimmy or, or Champine or Doug Haveron did it. Bentley's had his big years. Greg had a few. You know, Otto's had some. But, you know, It's very rare that you you win more than you lose. So that's a good attitude to have. I like hearing that. Um, So how would you describe your driving style?
0: Well, you know, I've been told there and have to neutralize it more than have to find that aggression. Because it's definitely easier to, you know, be able to think for a second and hold yourself back on a stupid move than have the move there and just not have the will to want to go and get it which you need to have in this sport almost more so than any other one and so you know aggressive racing is a lot of the time the winning racing and i I really hope that that's where we end up in our next year and the next few years
1: well i don't i think that um a lot of us uh are really looking forward to seeing that out of you and I think we all believe that it's uh it's basically imminent just a matter of time and and again it it you know it takes a while to to really master a super modified even if it's a 350 and um you know I feel like you've made a lot of progress in in the last couple of years what is it like so what happens during the week do you work a lot on the car uh during the week what is your shop life like so usually
0: you know after our race day saturday usually sunday or monday we try to get the car unloaded if possible um we strip the body off of it and try to deep clean it as well as possible so you know wipe down the body get in everywhere um blow out the car make sure that everything's just clean and then we do our maintenance. We go through, make sure that all our bolts and nuts are tight, and you know, just make sure that it's race ready for the next week. Um, every couple of weeks, we change the oil and the rear end grease, and just make sure that it was race ready and that
1: try and limit
0: the amount of failures that were possible for the upcoming race week
1: so who is in the so who is the the sort of shop crew is it just you and your dad does your grandpa still jump in and help who else is your brother involved it looked like dawson was kind of trying to work pretty hard classic weekend when i was there and and at one point he he, uh actually changed shirts and went over and worked with mike bruce
0: (laughs) well yeah you know um all my guys are really hard workers and i'm so thankful for all of them um obviously I wouldn't be able to do it without my father and my grandfather. Uh, the two of them being the biggest reason why I am racing, but that by no means means that nobody else helps. Um, you know, my good buddy, Cam Pritchard and, uh, my other friend, Logan Duvall. Um, they were both there every week whenever I needed them. All they were was oh, cool. a phone call away, always ready for, um, always ready for me. And, you know, I, I'm really thankful that I have two good friends like that that I could always count on. And, you know, they were at the races every week. They wouldn't miss a race. Uh, they were at every Fast Friday. Um, Anytime I needed them at the shop, uh, they'd figure something out. Even if they couldn't make it, they would still try their best to get there. And Very nice. You know, very helpful.
1: That's awesome. So, um, who else? I mean, it, well, I... While you're doing thank yous Go ahead let's get that out of the way And then we'll continue But uh, anybody else you want to thank And talk about sponsors or anybody like that
0: Yeah well you know We had a um, We had a lot of people help us Both in sponsorship and just helping us Obviously I mentioned a couple of my buddies I want to thank uh, Greg Furlong again For being a big help Um, I want to thank my mom For being so supportive over My racing career forever Um, I want to thank Mike Bruce He's been a big help to me uh, In the past year and a half Of uh, racing up there And he's always somebody that I can Go to and uh, Look for advice from um, Especially when uh, I need a second input from Maybe even Myself or from Greg If I just need another look at the Problem I can always go to him and I know it um obviously my grandfather i mentioned um i'd like to thank my my aunt carly and my cousin kaylee for always supporting me and helping me and actually um they were up for almost two days straight getting our um shirts ready for classic morning which actually helped us end up uh winning best appearing car and crew which was pretty cool to yeah have. um so i couldn't do it without them either um You know, uh, my brother Dawson was another really big help. Um, You know, maybe we don't always get along the best sometimes, but in the end, he's my (laughs) brother, and I love him. And, you know, he's a big help. He was always there when we needed him, and good help to have.
1: Okay, so um, did we talk sponsors yet? Oh, yep. Let's get to that right now. Um,
0: Obviously, my father, Hawk Junior Chassis, uh, probably the biggest sponsor that I'll ever have for actually <laughs> getting the car ready and yeah. uh, to race all the time. Um, Mike Barbera with top quality construction um, paid for a lot of our tires this year and was a really big help towards that. Um, Acrofab was a really big help. They helped um, CNC print a lot of our parts this year and actually, um they did a lot of it at no charge and if they did charge us they did not charge very much which was really good um jeff west with ipc indie performance composite was also a big help um that's about it okay um we're hoping to we're looking at more sponsors for next year i know that um greg is looking to get his name on our car for next year and uh honestly i can't blame him because i see us doing great things
1: (laughs) well that's (laughs) that's a bold statement man it Uh, is but it it sounds like something greg would say actually um definitely sounds like something greg would say so um what is is there a particular race from the past not your career but just your career as a fan at Oswego is there a particular race that sort of stands out as being um like if somebody said what what is what was your favorite race so far at Oswego that you didn't race in what would do you do you have one that sort of stands out in your mind
0: well you know there's been um quite a lot of them I remember um a couple of years ago, Michael Barnes went from the back of the pack up to the front when nobody thought that he would. Oh yeah, he came out of nowhere and he drove by the entire field and won the race. Um, you know, every classic is a wild ride for everybody. and at this point, it's more about just surviving for those 200 laps than it is really racing anybody, just having the knowledge to be able to pace yourself, but still be fast enough to yep. keep up with everybody you know, every classic is new experience and every single one, just, they keep getting good. Um, you know, just this past year, uh, David Danzer snagged his yep. first classic win after, um, Michael Barnes ran out of fuel with a lap to go for the second year yeah, in a row. Again. And, um, you know, obviously, um, a big part of a now, um, Alison slowed, yep. um, big driver, of course, because she's, one of the few uh, female drivers up at Oswego, and, you know, there's definitely a lot of people that look up to her for that. And, um, obviously, uh, he hasn't been much at Oswego lately running Isma, but um, Otto, obviously, yep. is um, he's a big runner. Um, just, you know, every race is always going to end up different, and they're all just as ex- exciting
1: as the last. Now, I'm assuming that you are... Running in the 350 class again next year And um, there was some discussion That maybe your younger brother Dawson Would be joining you Is that uh-huh. is that the plan as far as you know?
0: Um, as far as I know um, Next year I'm not sure um, That he'll actually be racing But I'm definitely looking to Keep pursuing my career in the 350 okay. And we'll okay. see where that takes me After the next year But I do know that um, Dawson most likely won't be racing next year, but okay. there's nothing stopping him from taking a car out and testing a couple of times.
1: Okay, so no no racing for Dawson next year, but uh, so maybe the year after, is there a plan? I mean, I, I would assume you want to move up to the super class. Yeah, you know,
0: on. um, we've always taught, we, you know, we've been talking about it, even since before getting in the 350 even, but, you know, we were really, before we want, To move take that next step into the super modified division and even further from there someday uh, we really want to hammer down and master the 350 we would really like to at some point be the dominant car at Oswego obviously this past year um, Josh Akolik the track champion uh, was very dominant at Oswego all this year uh, until the end of the year when he had some engine troubles he was kicking our butts all year, and, you know, he was always the guy to beat. Obviously, um, from Star Speedway, uh, Jeff Battle, he's always been the guy that everybody wants to beat, and, yeah. you know. Everybody always saying, oh, yeah, he's got this, that, it's his engine, it's all this, you know. I I don't see him being a cheater. He's such a great guy. Oh, no. um, he's just, you know, they've got this. He's um, something... Uh, a lot he's won uh the championship up at star more than a few times yeah um you know he's definitely a big part of the 350 um 350 class yeah. and um you know someday i remember um the week the championship night the I in the pole i thought i had run away with that race and all of a sudden uh off the restart here comes jeff battle yeah you run for my money and you know, I remember we were dueling with him quite a bit, but once he got by us, we had nothing for him. Uh he actually went this past year. He went from the back. He pulled in on our, during our classic. Yep. Um, yep. Very early and went from the back all the way to the front to win it again. Which you know, just an incredible driver has a great feel for his car, and uh, he's him and Josh are definitely two of the guys that I'd like to beat and someday hopefully be in their position before we think about moving up
1: that's that's again that's a great way to be because you're taking your time and you're just trying to learn as much as you can and not in a big hurry your 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 dad had a huge disadvantage because he didn't really race anything before the super and that's a (laughs) That's just a, that's a tough deal. And your dad also had no fear when he was, when he was young and uh, you know, he, um, he, that's a, it's a tough way to start your career at a big block, super, especially one capable of winning races, Um, you know? And so um, he had a good career and, and um, it's, I know that um, both your dad and your grandfather are excited to hopefully see you be the first Hawksby to finally get into victory lane in a feature at, um, at Oswego. And I know that, uh, that's a matter of time. If you stay humble and you keep learning, uh, I think you got a, a really good shot at it. And, um, you know, you, you talk about somebody like Jeff battle, he's won four out of six classics and he's not that much older than you. So <laughs> it's really crazy how the that division is so full of young stars even you know you had Chase Locke last year that just uh man he was he was incredible to watch at at his age i think he was younger than you
0: Um I believe he's a year older than me so oh, I he is? last year he was the same age okay. as me this year So yeah i mean you know racing is all about the knowledge it's what you know um, both as a driver and working on the car I actually learned a lot this year not just driving but um, just how to change the car because unless you're the one actually in the car there's so many changes that you can make from moving the wing to adjusting the shocks and even adjusting uh, weight distribution that being able to come in and know what a different change will make the car because obviously you can have your um you can have your uh you can i can pull in and have my dad uh tell my dad it's tight or loose and he can suggest a change but you know tight or loose can sometimes be a very vague statement um there's some just different ways that these different changes can make the car feel and you know definitely um our uprising this past season mostly came from me just figuring out what changes i liked and what feels made the car go good and smooth and consistent for me. And also, and also to touch on what you said, um, about my father being, uh, having no fear. I feel like when you're getting in a race car that, you know, even with all the safety equipment that there is now being so dangerous, you really can't have fear getting in that because <laughs> if you have, you have fear getting in that car, then racing really isn't the place for you.
1: Oh, of course. Because unless
0: you're, really calm and collected and ready to go out, then you're you can both be a danger to yourself and other people on the track with you. And um that's a big thing about safety is that, you know, you're not the only one on the track. You obviously have to be respectful of everybody. Give everybody the clean racing room and um, you know, just respect everybody else the way that you'd want to be respected. So I feel like if you if anybody has fear to get in the car, then it's just not the place for them.
1: Oh, for sure, yeah, and I, and I mean, I guess the 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 no fear thing comes from um, sometimes you you kind of think that you you can get a little more than you can get, right? And so. Um. yeah your dad definitely had some spectacular crashes in his time and uh, oh yeah it's definitely one of the things he's
0: known for yeah, and, and, hard.
1: and he knows that when i talk about this that i'm kind of just having fun with him he was really i i said this i think to you when i was up there um you know he and your grandfather both were just uh, you know a hair away from winning a feature in oswego now you know and this is something that you 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 really need to think about sometimes too is um you say well you know it they 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 didn't win a feature or even if they had both won the feature that they were that they could have won um because each of them was leading late in a race and ended up um i think your dad maybe was a tire issue or something and um and I, your grandfather, they got passed on a restart. I think, um, I'm trying to remember, but anyways, they were both in position to win. And it's like, um, you know, there's only of all the drivers that have raced at Oswego, only a portion of them have ever gone to victory lane. So like, if you can win a feature, you're in a pretty exclusive club in a super modified at the Oswego speedway. And, um, so I, you know, I, I have fun with your dad sometimes. And, and, uh, but and your grandfather was racing in an era to me was the golden era, and he was racing in an era when um, you know in the, the arrow was not a thing back in that day, um, and the cars were they didn't handle very well, and you really had to drive them. and, and Your dad, you know, was under power, or your grandpa was underpowered a lot of the times too, and just had you know older cars and such. Um, but I'll never forget when he qualified for his first classic through time trials. I mean his you'd have thought he hit the lottery that was such a huge accomplishment for him and um so yeah big fan of both of them and um you're you're i can tell you're a chip off the old block and uh you're just going to be a lot of fun to watch next year and can't wait to see dawson finally get his chance uh whether it's next year or maybe the following one but at some point um i suspect there are going to be two Hawksbys racing on the track at the same time in the 350s um you know
0: uh, you can only wait to see what the future holds but yeah. you never know anything could happen.
1: So, uh, one last question. What do you what we off the track? I mean, obviously working on the race car, but what 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 did, you know, what do you like to do? Um you know,
0: um my second sport has been hockey. I've played hockey oh, since wow. I was um, really? a little kid. Um I've always been interested in um the mechanical and engineering side of things. And um, I've actually, this year in school, I've gone out to um, our school's um, extra program called City Boci is where my dad is actually the teacher. And, um, yep. you know, we do a lot of machining and fabrication in there, and it's all stuff I've always been interested in. Um, this year, I'm also taking a, um, a physics class, um, which also I have been interested in because you know physics obviously um one of the biggest parts of the cars up at the track all the aerodynamics and everything so
1: yeah that's great well so everything kind of for you uh other than hockey which is really interesting but that's obviously a huge sport up there now do you play your dad used to play football for a swing high and he was good. He was your, your dad was a, was a good, you know, aggressive player for his size. Did, do you, um, do, do you, do you play hockey for the high school or do you, is it just, uh, the league the kind of the local leagues?
0: Um, well, I've played house hockey my entire life. I've okay. always done it just as a fun activity oh, rather right. than believing that I'm going to go somewhere through it. And, um, i do intend on trying out for my high school team this year and nice. you know i obviously hope that i make it but it's not the biggest deal in the world to me if i don't because obviously my main sport is racing and will always be racing and you know hockey is just another thing for fun to keep you busy in the winter and that's what it always will be and i'm glad that i have it
1: okay so i have, now i do have one more question for you um you mentioned earlier uh, racing supers, and then you said it may be going on past that. What would you? Do you have a higher ambition in motorsports than super modifieds? Well, you know,
0: obviously, only time can tell. Again, but
1: of course, I'd
0: love to. I'd love to race pretty much anything anybody would be willing to put me into. Um, <laughs> opportunities are always something that I've um, looked forward to, possibly since I was even little. And, um, you know, I just racing in general, the sport, I love it so much that I could definitely see myself, um, racing a lot more and going beyond just the super modified class of the Swiggle, if possible. And, um, yeah, you know, I see.
1: What would you like to race besides the super?
0: Um, you know, I, um, you know, I've always liked, um, always wanted to try dirt racing i've never been able to actually get into it but um you know racing even a um i've always thought that um dirt sprint cars are really cool cars really fast cars very Um,
1: brutal cars
0: very brutal cars but again something that just looks like a lot of fun to be able to get into um just i've always i always liked open wheel racing i've never been a huge fan of nascar or uh anything like that the modifieds open wheel racing is definitely my specialty and what i what i'd like to pursue if anything in my future
1: okay well when you were talking dirt i was gonna say uh i know there's a there's a guy named joe gozik who has a dirt car and eventually he's gonna get too old to drive it um so one of these years uh maybe when he hits seventy. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe you should talk to him and see if it'll, uh, hook you up for a race, but, um, that's good stuff. Well, w- Talon, you've done a great job here. We've been almost 45 minutes here in this interview and you've, you've, you've really done a nice job. I know you don't do a lot of this. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you did well and got your thank yous in and we're looking forward to seeing what 2024 brings for you i i personally believe that you're going to get to victory lane next year and i can see you honestly running for the championship in the 350 division
0: thank you uh the support means a lot to me um and yeah again thank you for having me and it's been awesome
1: well all right that is uh, uh talon hawksby and uh i i need to get both Joe Jr. and we need to get the colonel to do a show that's that's a goal of mine so um need to need to to work on that here we'll we'll, we'll see if we can get both of them at some point because i i would love to talk to your dad about um uh, you know the chassis and all that kind of the technical side of it and aero and all that and i, I think that would be fun and i'd love to talk to your grandpa of course because that's my era of being a kid i started going in 1973 so i was and i was uh there when your dad started and um always uh uh, always super nice to me. And, and uh, in fact, there was a point where um, and I, I just now I'm remembering this. I've thought about this and I don't know how many years, but um, there was a point where I was I thought I was going to have an opportunity to race something called a vw mini sprint that they ran at brewerton for a while open wheel, open cockpit car and your your dad ended up selling me a fire suit uh but i never did use it i i wish i'd kept it i don't know what i did with it but i wish i'd kept it because uh now it would have been just good memorabilia to have uh behind me here uh on the wall but uh, um anyways uh thanks again talon for being on that is talon hawksby and we'll be back with more of the groove right after this Welcome back to the show. It is time for what's in a number. And this segment is concerning the number 31 and the relevance of it. In Oswego Speedway and supermodified history. And I feel like this number gives me an opportunity. We kind of did some reminiscing in the opening segment and we talked about Jim Muldoon. Jim Muldoon and the 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 first driver of a 31 that I remember when I started going in the early 70s Jim Gray actually both worked together at Niagara Mohawk which was uh I got I forgot what what is the I think it's National Grid is that right um it uh, now the power company in Oswego the Niagara Mohawk was the um power company then and my father worked there as well he was um with the pressure crew i think it was and then um god i'm trying to remember what else he finished as a janitor and i'll tell you a funny story about that <laughs> get, off, get off track for a minute but this is a hawksby story so it relates my father was he he, he was i'm i'm saying this um I don't that this isn't a medical diagnosis but he had all the characteristics of OCD you know if there were two shoes crooked in the corner um he would straighten them you know he 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 was when he when when my mother um my father retired from Niagara Mohawk he fired my mother as the uh housekeeper dad did all the dusting and vacuuming and Oh my gosh. Um, and this, this, so he finished up, he had, he had, um, at the end of his career with Nimo. he was, um, he had a, he had a lot of shoulder issues and he ended up in back issues and he ended up, um, basically out of work for a little while. He had, uh, bursitis and tendonitis and just a whole bunch of things. Um, and, but he 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 became a janitor and he he was the one who cleaned both the big building down by the river and then the offices that were located um i don't even know what's in there now but it was what is it east first and bridge um steven joya was in that building for a little while it if you if you're just wanting to reference what building it was um and i forgot there was a oh what's her name uh was it dorian norfleet was that the lawyer i think she was in that building too for a little bit but i might be wrong um so anyways (laughs) my at at some point um joe Hawksby told my mother that he would make somebody a good wife he's he said you could eat off the men's room floor (laughs) you know but my dad was just so particular um anyway uh Back to the Jim Gray part of it. My dad knew G- both Jims and Joe, and so that's kind of how I got to know them all. Um, they I, Joe was a lineman, um, and um, which I <laughs> those folks are brave, right? Um, and uh, thank God for linemen. And um, gosh, I don't remember what areas uh, Jim Baldwin and Jim Gray worked in, but um, but they all worked there. And now everybody works at the nuke plants, right? That's that now. That's where all the super modified drivers are. Um, but Jim Gray was a tr- he's he was a Canadian, and he um, he got serious about racing at Oswego because um, he didn't just come to race. He moved, <laughs> he yeah, moved to the U.S. and ended up he was uh, right across from the the track for a little while um, off the third turn, I think, City Line Road, if I remember right, right. Um, and so, uh, Jim, Jim had uh, a couple of cars. And then when I saw him race first, um, I want to say he was driving Norm uh, and I don't now see I'm confused. Cause I'm trying to think if he drove the Hagen car. I think he did. Yeah. In 1973, he drove the 31 car for, for Norm Hagen, Hagen Howard. Um, he was a teammate to Mark Letcher, I think. I think that's how it went. And then he um he ended up driving for Skip Matzik in the three. Uh but then he built a rear engine car. And I don't know if that car ever got dialed in the way that jim would have wanted it jim was um the thing about jim gray and we had him on a show um and and it was wonderful to 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 talk to him and spend time with him again um check out the archives uh steeringwellnation.com and go to the shows and podcasts channel and you'll you'll find it find the uh inside groove player just scroll down but jim was uh Jim was an a, an innovator, and he really liked to he he liked to to build some different stuff. Um, then uh, he had the rear engine, and he and he he had driven for Skip Masick. And when when that car came out, that car was as ill handling as it gets. Jim Cheney drove it for a week or two, and and then uh, Jim Gray ended up in it, and uh jim i I think jim got it going a little better and then um in 1975 jim drove the double zero for uh kenny reese and ended up that's the car he won his only feature win in flag to flag um ronnie wallace was closing in but he just couldn't catch up to him and that was a popular win in fact both of those guys got their first wins that year that was so awesome um, just was, was fantastic. So, um, the, the 31 number for Jim, he ended up like he went back to his range a bit, drove for skip again, a little bit, drove the Steve Miller 16, a little bit. Um, I think he, uh, <laughs> I think he got in the, I believe he got in the flying 5 for a short time. Um like not even maybe raced it. I think he and I don't remember which 5 it was. It might have been the Windbladv car. I can't remember. Um and then He got back into the double zero in like 78 or so. That was, uh, that was, uh, Tony Ozzetik had bought it. John Cook. That was the name I wanted. Uh, John Cook drove it and, um, only raised for a year. And then Jim Gray got in it, drove it for a year. They built a new offset car. That was a number 69. Then it became double zero again. And that was the first car Joe goes, got in. Jim Gray did not get back in the thirty-one car until um, he and his brother-in-law Robin Himple, who I think also worked for Nimo, um, uh, they bought the Lettuce Leaf Express that Ronnie Wallace had driven in nineteen seventy-eight from Jim Ferlito, and Jim raced that for gosh, I don't even know, uh, maybe a year. I think. And then he had a really bad crash. And I think it was after that that he just retired. Um, Jim had one of those careers that, um, again, he was always, he somewhere in the mix. Oh, I left out a 31 somewhere in the mix. He drove, I, I don't remember what year this would have been, but he built an upright car. Sort of along the lines of the Bobby Stelter sixty-one car that I think didn't wasn't there a guy, Rocky Ryan? Wasn't that his name? Owned it. Um and uh, Ray Sand and McAuliffe cars. That that was a little bit of a an experimental phase that that a few of these guys went through. Jim's car was really it was really I thought it was cool looking, honestly. It was a it was sort of a a, you know, a, a a tiny little thing, um, and I don't think he drove it all that long. But um, you know, again, this was um, this was when supers were fun, and Jim I always thought was one of those drivers, much like Jim Muldoon, who had an enormous amount of talent. And just really had limited equipment in which to show it. Um, you know, the double zero was his best. And and then the Hagen Howard car too. That 31 car was good when you drove it. Um, certainly top five capable for sure. Um, you know, but but Jim Jim drove a lot of cars that were just, you know, very sort of experimental and but it was cool. Jim was an innovator. He was a very, very engineering-minded, smart guy. And here's a fun fact about Jim Gray before we get back to other 31s. Because I, uh, when I think of 31, I, I think of Jim Gray, and that to me is his number. That's like, again, you attach numbers to certain drivers, that's his number. Jim, um, fun fact, Jim was the, the, the individual who was responsible for bringing Dwarf Car Racing, which is now Mog Light Racing, to Central New York to Burton. jim went to or was in arizona i think it was somewhere out there i think it was arizona and they were racing these dwarf cars and jim thought wow those are cool we ought to, you know we ought to start those over here very affordable back then spec cars basically and there were three of them that started i don't remember who the other two were isn't that awful but Jim Gray was one of the first of the dwarf car drivers, and um, his idea for the class was basically a flat purse, pretty much. You know, make it fun. Well, you know how that goes. Race car drivers are their own worst enemies, you know, so <laughs> now we have Mog lights that people spend a pretty good amount of money on but it's still a great class and and it really um that class has spawned some super modified talent too over the years or, or at least a swig speedway talent um and uh but jim was the he was the the first one to um to build a uh or, or to bring dwarf car racing to central new york and uh yeah just a really he is one of the coolest nicest guys ever to talk to just so much fun and so much sort of energy and 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 um, intellect there. So goes tech guy for a good while too by the way. All right, moving on let's see uh, Jim uh, after Jim Gray retired 31s oh I'm gonna get stung on this. Danny Sewell was 31 when he first started. Mark Letcher was running the 32 car. Danny was, uh, they, they had a car for Danny was 31. I think before th- I think it was before that there was a Timmins. One of the Timminses, I think was 31 because gosh, do I want to no? Well, no, I think there was. Yeah. I think one of the Timminses from new England was, was, uh, was 31. I want to say, I know they were always 13, but I was thinking there was one where it was 31. Um, nick Barzey, of course now um 31 um boy i don't know that there were too many 31s over the years that's that's a number that i feel like hasn't been used an awful lot um like I said, I think there was a Timmins because I, I almost want to remember a green 31. And I can only think that would be a Timmins. And I may be wrong. Maybe I'm imagining it was 13. But, um. oh, man. Like I said, this is always where I get burned because I, I miss an obvious one. <laughs> uh, Barzee is in the Nick Barzee in the 350s. Um, 31. I'm drawing a blank here. Isn't that crazy? I know there's been at least a few, and I and and it's um, and I think that's one of those numbers I feel like may have been used a little bit as a one-off, you know, um, or like when you had to change a number, you might have slapped a one on a three car three and made it thirty-one or something, um, but by and large, that number belonged to Jim Gray that, that to me was his number. And Jim was just those guys back then in that period of time were a lot of them were, um, were, were very outside the box guys. Um, you know, and, and guys like Jim also drove various cars. Jim drove the Roy Murphy 13 for a bit. Um, like I mentioned, he drove for Steve Miller in the 16 did ran pretty quick with that. Um, and uh put it into a classic seventy seven, maybe. Um and I think he actually had driven for Steve a couple times. He might have drove that old uh old um older 60 the time or two as well. Uh the one that um I don't remember where it came from. I think it I don't think it was an X Indy car, but it might have been. But but um Steve had it in like 72 somewhere in there, 71, 72, Ray Sand drove it. And I think Ronnie Wallace spent some time in it. And Jim, I think might've driven it a bit. Um, you know, Jim, Jim, you know, he would get into different cars and that was fun too back then. Just those guys doing that because it just made it fun. At least for, for me as a fan, it was always fun when you had that sort of switcheroo going, you know, and, and, and Jim was one of those guys that, you know, he enjoyed racing enough that if somebody had an open seat and they asked him to drive and it was, you know, safe, he'd get in it. And he was just, um, yeah, he was just a, a really, uh, really fun guy. Um, I just, I'm drawing a blank. I know in the modifieds, Johnny Michaels, and I, I, I don't think Johnny, no, Johnny, when Johnny drove Supers, he drove a uh, uh, Sewell's car was 32, so, yeah, 31 in the modified, just <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, underdog, the underdog, Johnny Michaels. Uh, that family, there's a family right there. There is, there was so much talent in that family. Johnny Michaels, AJ Michaels. Um, I mean, gosh, unbelievable Um the the talent in in the michaels family um it uh johnny was it was was again one of those characters he was a he was a good racer uh, he would have done really good in the 32 if he had a bad crash he was another one they had a really bad crash they put him out for a while and um, that's when I think Eddie Bell might have taken over the 32. If I'm thinking correctly here, maybe it was Letcher. Um, so I, I've been, I've been sort of trying to think of another 31 that I missed and, and I, gosh, I'm sure there's one or two. Cause I, again, I feel like maybe some out of towners over the years or something. Um, anybody, I just can't think of who might've had it for like a period of time um but um okay and so i i want to finish the show uh two things just to to pass along one um i'm i'm trying to do some outreach here i'd like to um i'd like to f- to find uh some some west coast driver interviews to do um and reach out to some of those guys. The supers are coming back out there. They've, they've run some shows and they're starting to build back up again. And I love seeing that. Um, there are, there's a couple new tracks that have raced them. They just ran at uh, Not Meridian. That's in Ohio. Um, (laughs) Madeira in California. Um, they, uh, they've, they've got fourteen 15, they're drawing a show, which is, that's great. Cause that, that class was basically dead and buried out there. And it's nice to see that they've, they've started to bring them back. And there's a lot of new interest out there in that class, in the super modified class. So, um, I think that's just fantastic. So we're going to try to Try to make some inroads with uh, do, finding a couple of folks from the West Coast to talk to, you know, again, looking forward to our off season here. We've got still a bunch of uh, Oswego folks on, on a list here that uh, committed to me at Classic. We just got to, again, schedules are always tough. Everybody's so busy now, but we're trying. Um, and so we, we finally got, we got the talent. Um, and Jeff Battle, by the way, is going to be on, I think our next show. So we'll be we'll be hearing from Jeff. Um and we got a bunch of others. Joe Gozick will be coming up soon. Um he <laughs> tried to I I tried to put Joe on this show, but Joe um Joe was running the dirt car at um where was it? We no Fulton, the uh Vic, uh Victoria two hundred, I think, right? Uh he was gonna run the 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 sportsman part of that and he and he he uh uh, then, if he, you know, felt good enough in it, whatever, was going to run Super Dirt Week. So, uh, so we're we're uh, Joe is on the way. Um, we we talk with. I'll, I'll give you just a few. I probably will not remember them all. I don't have it in the list handy, but um, I know that uh, Mike Fowler has agreed to do a show. Um, who else is on the list? Dave, Dan's are going to do a longer interview with us coming up. Uh, we talked to Daniel Connors about doing an interview, so hopefully we'll have, be able to have Danny. Um, who else? Uh, Mike Fowler, by the way, is SPS driver. Um, we. Uh, I'm hoping I can. Jeff Carson had told me he would do it. Um, Jeff is not a driver, of course, but Jeff is an owner of Mike Fowler's car. He had he had a super modified back in the day that won. Um, a number of races, David Knight Jr. drove it. It was Joe Hawksby Jr.'s last classic ride. Um, and um, I think who else? Um, we've got a bunch anyway. So uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be busy here again, just trying to, to schedule people in as we can um, and looking forward to it. So that's it, folks, for this particular episode of the groove. This segment of the groove, oh, by the way, is brought to you by Legroff's pub and grill. Stop in and grab your favorite bar stool and get some food. The Swiggle's Premier Pub has ice cold beer, exceptional pub fair, and look, they've they've got like eight huge TVs: the NFL Sunday ticket, all the sports you can watch, you can play darts. Uh, they've got several Dart Leagues going on there and their menus incredible burgers, chicken wings, Philly cheesesteaks, chicken sandwiches, um, all kinds of good stuff, um, homemade sauces and array of soups. Um, it's just a really cool place to uh sit and hang out and enjoy an evening or a weekend day, and um it's really kind of uh Oswego's cheers in a lot of ways. Um, Irish Pub, Lagroff's Pub. Check them out. Uh, they are located at 187 East 10th Street in Oswego. So uh, go visit them and thank Sean Cathcart and his staff for uh, supporting Super Modified Racing and um, also for supporting this show. That will wrap it up for the Inside Groove for this episode. Next will be episode 132. Can't wait to talk about that because it's a great excuse to talk about Jimmy Sewell. And I could do that all day long. So uh, until the next Inside Groove, I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening and God bless. For more great content, steeringwheelnation.com. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indie creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries.
0: Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliate, or marketing partners. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent. Thank you for listening.